Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. All right, so Lisa and I are going to be coaching tonight. I've been really excited about this all week, uh, particularly for her part, not as excited for my part because I suck and she's great. Uh, but with that said, uh, I'm going to turn over to Lisa. She's going to get us kicked off. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, open them to Mark 5. We're going to go through verses 1 through 20. But this story tonight is really a kind of a continuation of what Waycaster brought last week. So Jesus and his disciples got on a boat across the lake. Um, and in the midst of that, there's a storm. And as you know, Jesus calms that storm and he puts his power on display. And this leaves his disciples really in awe and fear all at the same time. And so we're picking up where they've crossed the lake and they get out of the boat and they're in the region called Decapolis. And this area was conquered by the Roman Empire. And so this region really hated the Romans just as much as the Jews. They, like the Jews, thought of them as pigs. Um, And so to set the scene, Jesus exits the boat into what is really an eerie scene. So this is perfect as we are in spooky season. Spooky! (laughs) Because when he gets off the boat, he is entering into a graveyard in the middle of the night and there's a beast-like creature present. Um, But Jesus walked right into this scene unafraid. Um, And so Ben is gonna walk us through the text to get us started. All right. Uh, I can't help but stand up when I teach, so I am going to stand. All right, so uh, picking up in verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. The word that's really used here for subdue is like to tame a beast, all right? So picture the imagery from the passage that Catherine just read of these four beasts, all right? That's going to matter in a little bit. Pick back up in verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. Alright, so Jesus has just gotten off the boat with his disciples. He was just dealing with demonic forces and death, right? Like the, the imagery that was used last week of Jesus calming the storm on the sea was the same imagery as Jesus telling a demon basically to shut up. Uh, he said, be quiet and be still. Uh, that's what he would tell demons. Uh, but basically, Jesus was dealing with demons and death on the sea. And now, what is he dealing with? He's in a graveyard dealing with another demon. He's dealing with demons and death again. We're in this phase of the Gospel of Mark. And by the way, Ben, um, when he's preaching at the Oxford Church of Christ this Sunday, and you should definitely come and be there for this, he's going to be preaching inside of this series on the Gospel of Mark. And he's actually, his passage is going to, once again, deal with this idea of Jesus and the forces of death. And these three stories all together are actually communicating the power of Jesus over the forces of death, all right? So that's kind of the thematics that are going on here. But I really do encourage you to come and listen to Ben, because he's going to kind of cap off this little section of the Gospel of Mark. But for tonight, I think the thing that we have to address is this, and it's demon possession, right? It's the big elephant in the room. Demon possession. It's weird. Uh, It's something that is probably very foreign to you. It's not something, at least if you grew up in the churches of Christ, it's not something that you're really familiar with. 
That's not something we talk about very much. And let's just be honest, uh, as we live out our lives on a secular state university campus, it's not just something that's weird or foreign. This is something that is totally unpalatable to most of the people that we interact with, right? This is something that would turn people off from Christianity and would uh, have them say that the Bible is nothing more or less than a myth, all right? With that said, even if you're willing to accept that this story is true, which I think most of you are, if you're not, that's fine too, I'm glad you're here. I ask you to suspend your judgment for the rest of tonight though, if you don't. But even if you think this story is true, you probably think it's irrelevant to you. You don't face demon possession every day, do you? Right? Like you yourself probably do not perceive of yourself as being possessed by a demon. And you probably don't uh, pre uh, perceive of the friends that you interact with on a day-in, day-out basis as being possessed by a demon. Am I right? Um, no. Oh, yeah. Maybe. So, um, with that said, though, I agree with you. You are probably not demon-possessed. And you probably don't interact with someone on a day-in, day-out basis who is demon-possessed. However, that does not mean, that does not mean that you don't deal with demonic forces each and every day of your life. Let me read to you a short little verse that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, all right? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm, all right? So as you live out your life, right, and you see the amount of political strife in our country, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. When you live out your life on campus and you see the struggles that you have with your roommate or your significant other, or maybe it's a parent, right? That strife you have with your roommate, that strife you have with your significant other, maybe just this terrible relationship that you find yourself caught up in. The tension that you have with your parents. Maybe you've never forgiven them for something and maybe you have the right to. But it's not, the struggle that you have in that situation is not against flesh and blood. It is against the evil forces in the heavenly realms. The addiction that you face, the addiction that you face, that addiction to pornography, that addiction to your phone, that addiction to the endless pursuit of status and wealth, that addiction that is not a struggle against your own flesh and your own blood, but rather is a, a struggle against the demonic forces, the evil spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And so, yes, you may not be demon-possessed. Yes, you may not uh, interact with people who are demon-possessed on a day-in, day-out basis, but this is true. Every day of your life, you interact with demonic forces. Every day of your life, as you live out your life, on that campus, I would probably not admit it, you interact with demonic forces. And so the power of Jesus that we're going to see over demonic forces has a direct implication on your life. This matters, so don't just check out because you don't think you're demon-possessed, all right? So pick up with me with that, so pick up with me in verse 7. He shouted at the top of his voice, this is the demonic uh, man, all right? What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, please do not torture me. For Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are 
many. And he begged Jesus again and again to not send uh, them out of the area. A large herd of pigs is feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them uh, permission and the impure spirits came out and they went to the pigs and a herd about 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank in the lake and were drowned. <laughs> Imagine we're doing this right now. Um, all right. So there's three things I want us to recognize here. First is the power of the demon. All right. The power of the demon. The name of the, of the demon is, is what? Legion. All right. If you are a history nerd, what is a legion? Say it again. It's a military unit of Rome. It's the largest Roman military unit. It's comprised of 6,000 Roman soldiers. Now think about the original audience. Who's the original audience of the Gospel of Mark? It's Christians in what city? Say it. Rome. Who are being persecuted. So do you not think that the imagery of a legion would not evoke both power and fear in their hearts and their minds? Legions were brutal. They would rape and they would pillage. And look to what this demon that was named Legion, look at what he did to this man that we call the demoniac in verses 3 and 4 that we read earlier. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. You see the power of this demon. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he, bore, uh, he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. You see the ability of this demon, both just the power of the demon in this man, but also the power of the demon to wreck this man's life. But the second thing that we need to notice is not the power of the demon, but the plea of the demon. Right? The demon who is so powerful, the demon who is named after the thing that would evoke such powerful imagery in the regional, original, <laughs> regional, the original readers of this text, absolutely begs for mercy from Jesus. Please, please, we know Jesus, Son of the Most High God, you are all powerful. We can't do anything. Please, please don't kill us. Please don't torture us. Please don't torture us. You see, the picture that Scripture paints for us is not some sort of dualism, all right? It isn't like Star Wars where good and evil are kind of closely matched and good ekes out a win by the skin of its teeth at the end of the story. Rather, Scripture doesn't paint for us a picture of dualism, but rather a picture of utter domination of evil by good. It's like when Alabama gets a cupcake to play them at the beginning of a football season. All right? It's just not even fair. The game should not even be played. I hate to admit this as an Auburn fan, but it's just, it's not like we know who's going to win. Alabama's already won before both teams have walked out onto the field. The other team already knows it. The demon already knew when they saw the power of Jesus, we don't stand a chance. We better go ahead and plead for mercy. The third thing, right, so there's the power of the demon, there's the plea of the demon in light of the power of Jesus. But the third thing that we need to see is this, and let me just, uh, permit me this phrase, the parabolic nature of Mark, all right? Um, when we read this bit about the pigs, uh, nod your heads if this, that's weird. Right, like it, it, maybe that isn't weird to you. I, I frankly think it should be. It's, it's, it's odd if you just read it on a surface level. Um, Mark, though, is, is parabolic in nature. What we mean by that is like Mark is this extended parable. Now, hear me when I say this. That doesn't mean that, mean that Mark isn't true. All right, but think about it. 
Jesus, uh, as, as John put it at the end of his gospel, if everything that Jesus did was written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that could be written. Right? Jesus did this numerous amount of things. And Mark is getting all this information directly from somebody who was right by Jesus as he, as he did all those things. Right, Mark is just writing down the account of Peter. And so when Mark picks and chooses stories, and when he pieces them together, he's trying to communicate something. He's not just telling us the data points that happen. He's not just communicating history. He's trying to communicate something to us. By the way, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's trying to invite us into each one of these stories that we're immersing ourselves in and getting us to see the bigger picture. And imagine how that would have worked for the original audience. The most powerful and problematic thing in their whole life, a Roman legion, the demon, is now, remember the scripture that Catherine read for us, these beasts that rose up out of the sea. By the way, for the Jews, one of those, the last one would have represented Rome. And the legion has now been cast back into the sea as it enters into the impure spirit, enters into the impure pig, right? It is thrown back in to the chaoticness of the lake. Do you see the imagery there? Jesus is shoving Rome back where it was meant to be in the first place. Do you imagine the hope that that would have given the original readers of this text? You see how that imagery works. You see what Mark's doing here. He's painting a picture of, yes, a very powerful demon, but even more powerful Jesus. And then in the rest of our text for tonight, we see two responses. So pick up with me in verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and responded in this town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw a man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed, and this is crazy, in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, but also they told him about the pigs as well. All right, just pause here for a minute. If you're the people, the most problematic and powerful thing in your life is what? This demon-possessed man, and you got rid of him. You cast him out to the tombs, right? You put him in the cemetery. You tried to bind him, but it never worked. And Jesus has healed this man. He's dressed. He's in his right mind. What do you, how do you respond to Jesus in the circumstance? If you're the townspeople, what do you think their response should be? Thank you. Thank you. What else? That's awesome. Like, do you think they would want him to stay there forever and fix all their problems that ever came up? Right? Be my response. Verse 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Verse 17, I think, is the most important verse inside of this text. We're going to come back to it in a bit, so keep that in mind. Their response to Jesus, when they see his power, is to push him away. Pick up in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Now, what do you expect Jesus to say to this guy? So soon after Jesus said, hey, come and follow me, what do you expect him to say to this guy? What? Come and follow, right? Yeah, oh, of course. 
Also, the other thing that could happen is, is Jesus tells this man, what has he often been doing? In the Gospel of Mark, he tells him, hey, by the way, don't tell people what happened. Hey, don't tell anybody what happened. Hey, don't tell anybody what happened. The exact two things that happen here. Jesus says, no, you stay, all right? Jesus did not let him, but he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much mercy he's had on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. You see what Jesus is doing here. This man had been marred in all sorts of relationships, right? His relationship with God had been marred, right? He, he was demon-possessed. He, he had spiritual demon, I mean, demons like, that just wrecking his life. Those demons didn't just mar him social, I mean, uh, spiritually, but socially, right? He was a social outcast. He was kept in the tombs. It didn't just mar him um, those two ways, but also his own identity. The man, the man was no longer himself, but just a shell for these demons. It also marred his relationship with the creation, right? He couldn't work until, like we were called to do in the garden. And Jesus says, no, don't, don't just get saved and go into neutral. I want to restore not just your spiritual life, but everything. Go back to your own. Be restored socially. Be restored in your identity. Go find purpose there beyond just being saved into neutral. All right? So there, this text is this beautiful picture of what the power of Jesus can do in our lives, but also because it has Jesus responding to these three different groups of people and these three different groups of people responding to Jesus, it can get a little bit confusing. And so what Elise and I want to do tonight is we want us to, we want to just kind of go back over um, and look at these three different groups of people responding to Jesus, the demons, the townspeople, and then this man. And we want to see what they have to say as we look at more deeply at each of these interactions, what those interactions have to say about how we live at our Christian faith out on the college campus. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Elise. So in this story, <laughs> in this story, <laughs> sorry, okay, we see a man who's under the control and influence of an impure spirit. Um, this it's, impure spirit has forced him to live in the graveyard, and it has consumed everything about his life. Um, he could not be found. He was there day and night, crying out and cutting himself. Um, it literally took everything. It left this man isolated um, in bondage to sadism and mental illness, um, naked and cutting himself. And then we see Jesus enter the scene. Um, and we see Jesus intercede, um, and he addresses the demon. And so the first thing that we see the demon say to Jesus is, what do you want with me? In other words, Jesus, why are you here? You don't belong here. This is not where you're supposed to be. This is not your territory. Um, and he goes on and says, Jesus, son of the most high God, because it's believed that when you address your enemy by name, that you gain some sort of power over them. But then almost in the same breath, he's like, Jesus, please don't torture me. So you see that this demon is absolutely terrified. And you know, if, if it's not already drilled in your brain, this uh, demon is named Legion after the most powerful um, Roman military unit. And at this time, that is seen, a legion is seen as the most powerful thing in the world. So this demon is literally compared to the most powerful thing in the world. And yet this demon is absolutely terrified of Jesus. 
Um, so with that framework in mind, I just want you to think about the demons that are in your life. Um, maybe it's an addiction that you feel like you can't overcome. You feel like it's consuming you and there's absolutely no escape. You have no power over it. And this addiction cowers at the name of Jesus. Maybe it's an extreme suffering consuming your life and it just feels never ending. It feels like you can't see the light. You can't see the other side of this situation. And that extreme suffering cowers at the name of Jesus. Maybe it's an idol that has a foothold in your life. It's creating an identity crisis for you and you just feel completely alone and afraid and lost. But that idol powers at the name of Jesus. The story reveals to us that Jesus' power makes the most powerful demons in your life power and fear. And the beautiful thing is that that power is offered to you when you accept Jesus' call into your life. He can help you overcome whatever demon has a hold on you because there is no demon in your life that Jesus is not more powerful than. So this story has illustrated the extreme power of Jesus, and then it goes on to reveal kind of these two responses that people have when they're exposed to this power. Um, and so Ben's going to talk to us about the first response from the townspeople. Yeah, so right, uh, you, you kind of have two responses to, to this, this powerful picture uh, that Jesus, um, uh, that's painted of Jesus, and Elise has done this amazing job of uh, articulating uh, this, this power of Jesus over the demonic forces, both in the demoniac's life, but right in our lives as well. It's an incredible power, right, that, that is bringing transformation uh, into our lives, right? But think about it for a second. How often? How often are we like the townspeople in verse 17? Pleading with Jesus, not just to stay at an arm's length, but staying at a whole lake's length in between us and him. How often do we not just keep Jesus at an arm's length, but a lake's length? Because his power, right, his power disrupts the status quo. The demoniac was the biggest problem and the most powerful thing that these people knew of. Right? I mean, it, it, this guy was a plague on their society. They kept him in the cemetery because of it. They tried to chain him and they couldn't keep him chained. I mean, it, you, you've got to imagine... This guy terrorized their lives, and Jesus goes in, and he transforms his life, and in so doing, transforms their community. I mean, imagine if the greatest problem in your community was solved by a man, just like that. But how often, how often, just like, just like the townspeople, Jesus wants to come in, and he wants to restore us. He wants to transform us, but because he is the greatest threat to the status quo, we keep him at arm's length. Think about the broken relationships that you're in, that we've already brought up. A broken relationship with a friend. And you keep the power of Jesus at a lake's length because reconciliation would be just too hard. It would cost you just a little too much. Think about the broken relationship you have with your family. And you keep the power of Jesus to transform that relationship and make it something that was horrid into something that is beautiful and good. But you keep that power of Jesus at a, not just an arm's length, but a leg's length because the status quo has just become too familiar and therefore too comfortable. And even if it's bad, at least I know it and therefore can control it. How often do you keep the power of Jesus at an arm's length, and not just an arm's length, but a leg's length when you're in a 
damaging relationship with a significant other. Because, it, well, you've grown comfortable with it. And yeah, it may not be the best relationship, but it's fine enough, even though there's a whole lot of bad. And you know what? It'd just be too hard to let the power of Jesus to come in and transform this. How often do we keep the transformative power of Jesus at a lake's length when it comes to our suffering? If you've gone through something traumatic, it's very tempting to allow that to become the narrative that defines your life, even if it's traumatic. It's something you grow comfortable with, right? We wallow in our suffering. We wallow in our pain. And even though it's not good, even though it's not good, we've grown accustomed to it. We've grown familiar with it. So we keep the power of Jesus at a whole lake's length. He wants to instill and install a new narrative in our life. He wants to, he wants to fill our lives with hope and joy and peace and happiness. But we keep his power at a lake's length because it would disrupt the status quo to let him do that. It would force us to process things that we're not comfortable with processing yet. And so how often do we allow the damaging narratives of our life become the ultimate narratives of our life because they're the ones we're familiar with and comfortable with, and the power of Jesus would disrupt that? Disorientation and deconstruction is not a fun process to go through, right? Think about the addictions you face in your life. And you know you're enslaved to them. You're addicted to pornography. You're addicted to your phone. You're addicted to wealth. You're addicted to that resume item, the endless pursuit of it. And you know it's bad. You know it doesn't bring you joy. You know it doesn't bring you life. You know it doesn't bring you hope. You know it brings you none of those things. But man, it's the thing with which you are familiar. It's the status quo. It's what you become comfortable with. And Jesus offers to come in and stay there and transform the entirety of your being to break the chains of that bondage of your addiction. So we keep him out of Lake Sling. Because it would just be a little bit too hard. It should be a little bit too hard to allow his power to transform us and to go through that process. This is the townspeople. This is who we don't want to be, right? But who we often are. And Elise is, I'm going to turn over to Elise and she's going to explain the beautiful picture that we can be, the beautiful picture that might be if we are willing to allow the power of Jesus to transform our lives as we look at the demoniac after his transformation. Okay, so, still not working. So. I didn't talk on that time. No, I don't, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so the second response that we see to Jesus' power is the demoniac, and through him we see what happens when we kind of have the right posture or the right response to Jesus and allow his power to work in our lives. Um, this man was not only set free, but he was restored with a whole life ahead of him. And Jesus can remake you if you are in a broken place. Jesus, our God, is the one who goes to the other side of the lake, and this is how he, tra he transforms our lives and those lives around us. But would you believe that Jesus extends that same power to you and into your life when you accept his call? Um, would you believe that Jesus has purpose for your life here and now? Not just in your five or ten year plan like we tend to make in college, right? 
God's purpose for my life will be fulfilled after I pick the perfect major and I get the perfect grades and I build the perfect resume and I land the perfect job and then I find the perfect spouse to start my perfect life in the perfect city with, right? That's how it works. No, this is not the purpose that Jesus has called you to or the life that Jesus is talking about you living. We are talking about the Jesus that is calling you beyond the lessons he's teaching here at, here, here at Connect to be a light and to expand his kingdom and to reveal to those around us the restorative power of Jesus. Our God is missional. He is sending you to serve the people that live among you like he did the demoniac. He's sending you over to the University of Mississippi to serve the students on that campus. Um, you could say he's sending you into the dominion of darkness. Now, I'm not saying that um, Satan has set up camp on uh, campus and he's built his mansion there, but we would be ignorant to believe that Satan doesn't have a foothold on campus, that he is not active there. Um, so we're constantly pointing out ways for the RFC that we can live counterculturally. Um, throughout our college years. But this is so much easier for us to do over here in our holy huddle where everyone thinks and believes like us. But when we cross over to serve that community, we are met with much harsher realities. So I think what we have to grapple with is that it's easy for us to live in the anxiety of our five-year plan because it's, we can, if we're sitting there, we can just believe, okay, if I can just make good grades, and get this degree, then I can go fulfill God's purpose for my life. But I think what Jesus is calling us to here is to realize that we need to close the five-year gap that we place between God and our life, um, to invite him into the here and now, and to invite his transformative power to not only into our individual lives, but to the community around us as we go and let him work through us. This is something that's scary, it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, it's disruptive, it's hard, and we're still called to do this. So, hope y'all can hear the end of that. <laughs> but what we want to do now is have y'all um, slip into breakout groups, and so Ben is going to kind of guide y'all through that. Y'all can probably hear him better at this point, yeah. You were, you're thinking you're yeah. Um, Alright, so. Um, here's what we want you to do, uh, as we have been apt to do. Uh, we want you to break up into groups of two to five people, um, and we want you to answer these two questions and then pray over one another. The two questions are this. In what ways are you trying to keep Jesus at arm's length in your life? Right. Another way to put it, what facets of your life are you trying to keep the power of Jesus at arm's length? The second question we want you to ask, so go around everyone answer that question. The second question we want you to ask is, how can you overcome that? Or what walls does Jesus need to break down in your life so that the, his power can transform you? 